Welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast with Mark Stokes and Nigel Green. Every week we inspire and guide you towards success in the world of property development, mentorship and fundraising. Before we jump into today's episode, a reminder to join us at equacademy.co.uk where you can gain free access to hundreds of videos and templates to help you on your property development journey. Well, a very warm welcome to the next episode of Property Portfolio Podcast. And we're delighted this morning where we're going to be talking about commercial management for your development. Really excited about this one, Nigel, aren't we? It's something really close to our hearts. Oh, very much so. You know, QS in it, it or the, the quantity surveying part is a is a vein that runs through all developments and are absolutely pivotal in everything we do, you know, going into a development, um, during a development and out on the outside as well. So a, a real warm welcome to Jake. Uh, good morning, Jake. Good morning, Bill. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast this morning. Brilliant. Always a pleasure. Who best to have Jake Southers from your QS company? Um, to to focus us on the core steps and the detail that you as a developer need to have to take control and to put your head on the pillow and sleep relatively easy throughout that development. A, a little bit of healthy pressure is not a bad thing, but to be able to bring in the expertise, as we always say, you know, surround yourself with that assurance model. So people like Jake are a huge part of our professional team. So um so, Jake, um, tell us a little bit about um, what you do in your background uh, and then um, uh, a, l- a little bit about how you start off in your commercial development and uh, take control of your, your your commercial finances. Yeah, so a lot of questions there. I'll go back to the first one of where it all started, which was um, graduating from Liverpool, John Moores, um, with a first-class honours degree in quantity surveying. I think it was a polytechnic many years ago, but it transferred over to John Moores when I when I was was there. Um, fantastic degree. I did a sandwich placement um, degree, which was brilliant because you get a year out in industry, which obviously helps achieve better grades. Um, following graduation, I moved down south to London um, and worked in a great sort of private practice called Core Five. And they were ex-Davis uh, Langdon partners, which set up their own practice in um, Southwark, which is not too far from uh, Blackfriars. And uh, there I spent three years sort of learning the trade, um, graduating through the RICS APC process and becoming chartered, which was an interesting experience. Um, and uh, worked on some fabulous projects down south. I worked on a really, really prestigious project in Mayfair, which is really high end um, in between Cork Street and Burlington Street. Um, fabulous three story basements. All these very wealthy people can go in with their nice cars and go down the three story, uh, three story basement into the nice car park and into the apartments. Um, so that was a great experience. I was down south for three years and then moved over to Dubai with a company called Faithful and Gould, which is a British company than our global company the part of the snc laveling group um who actually bought ws atkins which are a big british engineering company um i spent four years in the middle east uh, again working on sort of smaller and large scale developments 
They don't tend to do anything small scale in Dubai. So I got exposed to some fabulous uh, master plan developments there, rolling out hundreds of hundreds and thousands of villas across the desert, essentially. They literally just pick a parcel of land, say, right, we'll build a new village there. How much does that cost? So they were they were interesting times. Um, and then moved back to the UK quite recently. It was last February. Um, and enjoyed coming back to the UK and uh, reconnecting with uh, old connections back in the UK, like yourselves, and uh, starting your QS company, which is my own practice offering commercial cost management services to the entrepreneurial developer. Bit of a long-winded, long-winded story, but I got there in the end. It'd be, it'd be fair to say you've you've seen things um, at at all scales, you know. <laughs> Tens and hundreds of millions down to, you know, a, f- a few thousands. And could you maybe share with us some of the some of the core steps and processes that that form good solid commercial practice that would help our listeners um, apply those practices to their developments? Mm, yeah, I think it depends when a QS comes into the process, but we'll take it that they're coming in right at the start where a developer's maybe looking at the feasibility of a site and whether the numbers actually stack up. Um, at that point, a QS would join the professional team. Usually the developer would have an architect on board who would maybe do some massing studies and some, some feasibility schemes. And a QS would typically um, set a realistic cost limit for the project, a, a, a budget based on certain key design parameters. Um, they might look at optionality of different schemes and which one's going to be the most viable so that a developer, a developer can pick a scheme and, and follow that route because obviously as you go through the process, you're expending quite a lot of professional fees. So they want to make sure they're picking the most viable design solution. So a QS can help with that right at the start. Um, and obviously if you're doing or if developers are doing a residual valuation on a piece of land or a development, a core part of that residual valuation is construction cost. It makes up a large portion of it. So getting that right in the first instance obviously allows you to to make the right offer on a piece of land, make sure the actual deal stacks up. Um, So that's sort of a core service at at the early stages. Then as the design progresses, it's more of a detailed cost check against the development of the design to make sure it's in line with the original budget because it can quite easily, you know, take different directions as the design design develops and you get more information about the actual site and different professionals come on board. You'll have your mechanical and electrical engineer, your structural engineer, who all feed into the design so a QS would would essentially go into a lot more detail and provide a lot more accurate a lot more of an accurate cost plan for a developer. Mm. So it's more of a, a cost check. Mm. So you might do that at sort of Reba stage two, Reba stage three, even to Reba stage four, which are a key design deliverable stages. Mm. Um, you then look at the procurement of the contractor. So getting the right build partner in place. Um, so a QS would look, you know, pre-qualify the contractor, make sure you've got the right build partner, uh, pull together all the tender documents, analyze the tender returns, make sure you're going with the, 
the most valuable, the most value-add uh, tender submission, both in terms of time, cost, quality, risk. Um, and then it's a case of wrapping all, all that up in a, in a nice contract, whether it's a JCT or a bespoke contract, lots of different forms of contract, and then commercially managing that project through to completion. So regular reporting, interim valuations, um, valuation of variations, negotiation to get you to the end goal, which is hand over to the developer in line with budget. So there's lots of different, <laughs> different I mean, that, that's just a, an overview really, but you can get involved at any point, lots of different variations of what you can do, different procurement routes, um, but there are sort of steps. I've no doubt you get, you're contacted all the time by developers who maybe have just found their their first deal. Maybe they're negotiating it, you know, and they're they're trying to put a, a wet finger in the air and what's the build cost? Um, so, could you take us through some of those examples how you might help them? How 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 a quality commercial practice a QS can assist the developer right at the early stage? And we we're just talking about this before the call. Um, I think at the start of a development, we obviously need to take into this into account the specifics of a project, any abnormals or any key considerations in terms of cost um, for for a development. And all too often, I see uh, developers coming to me and saying, "I think I've been told it's going to cost fifteen hundred a square meter or two thousand a square meter by my builder." Um, with no real consideration of the actual development. So where your QS company would come into, into the mix would be um, considering those key elements of the development. So, for example, uh, I'll use an example I've just done recently. was a commercial conversion with a two-storey um, extension above and rear extension. Um, a lot of... A lot of that work required quite a lot of steel work to actually enable the extension. So it's taken into account, uh, you know, these sort of specifics of a project, which we can do early on. Right at the early stage. And then are you finding that sometimes the, the, that cost information can help the architect alter the design and the, there's a, a real congruence between the two professions? I think that's key at the start because you're producing a cost plan often based on assumed design parameters because they've not developed the design sufficiently at that stage. So a good QS would come in, sit down with the architect and run through the cost plan and these and these assumptions. And often case, it might be uh, we can tweak certain design assumptions to, to refine the budget or to align with the developer's aspirations. So, for example, it, you know, it's the specification of finish or how what treatment is happening to the facade. Are we, are we replacing all the windows, for example, on a commercial conversion? Mm. Um, or can we get away with spraying the windows to make them look like aluminium windows, for example? So it's, it's communication. It comes back to communication again with the whole design team at the start to make sure you, you're starting on a good foundation. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I, I agree. I agree, Jake. And 
you know, in terms of any any one particular development, I think it's it's really been mindful of of all aspects of it, and and it and it is a danger just using a rate, isn't it? Because mm. I think there's so many exceptional items in a in a development. You know, we just talk about the ground. You know, what was the previous use of that site? Was it a petrol station? Was it a car park? Was it does it need remediating? You know, the, the kind of the strata of the ground does it need piling or yeah. strip footing effects you know the costs you know phenomenally and, and substantially and uh, you know and it's it's picking up those looking at the site as a whole and you know really picking as you say if it's a conversion there you know a rate would probably deal with just an internal fit out essentially it's, it's converting the internals to what would be let's say residential but it's it's treating the external part i.e windows maybe cladding, maybe this, that, and the other as exceptional items that need to be added onto the cost plan. Yeah. So it's trying to capture all those those bits. And and, mm-hmm. and I think furthermore, the the market, um, you know, depending on how busy the market is, might um might need some consideration because if if all the builders are busy, by by nature of that uh, that fact, the cost will generally go up. Mm. Um if everybody's you know, looking for work, then by nature of that fact, they become more competitive, <laughs> you know. So it's it's just that it's, it's understanding where you are in the market and what the specifics are. Yeah. And, you know, enables you to get there or thereabouts, you know, in terms of the right budget, for sure. Absolutely. And often when you're dealing with a, a QS practice like ourselves, they deal, they're working on other projects. So they're getting a lot of different tender returns across across the market so you can see where the market is going and you can you can analyze tender price indices to see you know inflationary pressures yeah. which you can consider in you know a new client's cost plan for example mm-hmm. absolutely it becomes multi-dimensional opposed to just linear doesn't it yeah that's how you you're feeding from the market you know into the specific of the, the cost plan which is you know very useful so, and you can, if you're delivering projects as well, obviously you're dealing with quite quite a number of contractors. Yeah, so you, you know which ones are performing. Yeah, you know which ones are good to work with. Yeah, absolutely. You, you mentioned you mentioned earlier. Sorry, sorry. You, you mentioned earlier that you do some pre-qualification of mm. contractors for clients. Just take us through just briefly that process that you would you would do. Yeah, so I think initially it's an expression of interest. So making sure the, the contractors are actually interested in the project. Mm. Um, so that's step number one. Step number two is instead of, it's, it's always good to have an interview with the contractor and speak to them about their experience. But equally, it's nice to receive a document uh, that demonstrates their experience, um, you know, uh, of projects they've worked on before, uh, looking at their health and safety records to see if they've had any health and safety violations with the HSA. Um, a big one is looking at their audited accounts, is making sure they've got a good balance sheet, good profit and loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, have they got a parent company that can underpin the performance of a subsidiary to deliver a project? So all these key indicators will um, give you a good picture of whether that contractor will be a good partner. Absolutely, and on that point, I think um, you know it's good to it's good to understand maybe the last three years of trading and just see mm-hmm. see whether it's a you know it's kind of 
it's grown organically, maybe years one and two, but all of a sudden there's a step up of turnover, yeah. you know, which could indicate a potential of overtrading, you know, and, and a company getting into a bit of a sticky situation, you know. So it's, mm. I think all the all these factors, this information gathering is is really important. Yeah. And you can keep actually you've just reminded me there, Nigel. A key question is understanding secured workload against historic turnover. Yeah. You know, if their turnover is ten million, and all of a sudden they're at twenty. They might potentially be overstretched. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, a development many, many years ago now, um, and we we selected our favoured contractor. We've done our audit checks, the Dun and Bradstreet reports um, mm. at the company, um, and unbeknown to us, they they filed their accounts just prior to us um, uh, appointing them. Uh, now, fortunately, just before we appointed them, we did one last check, the Dun and Bradstreet check. And it showed that they had a really bad project on their books and they had a massive dip in performance. I mean, it put them into a significant loss. Mm. So we had to get comfortable again that they were robust enough. Um, you know, their underlying performance as a business was was solid enough. Um, mm. I guess some of your projects are, uh, you're, you're looking at cost plans that might be two, three, four years ahead. Mm. Uh, we're typically 12 to 12 to 18 months, maybe 12 to 24 months from start to finish of a development. Um, but uh, some of those larger ones you've been involved in are, are many years in the making. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly the ones in the Middle East, you know, probably four or five-year programs to actually deliver the projects. Um, so, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of things to consider. I was going to say a bit like shifting sand, but that's probably not exactly what it was. Exactly what was doing. <laughs> a lot of it as well. Yeah. Tipping what you just said there about um, about you know for those of you who have that fear of appointing a contractor, you know go to your, your 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 quantity surveyor, go to your QS. Your QS will understand the local market. Will have worked with contractors, not just contractors at tender stage, but I guess seeing the personality and the characteristics mm. throughout the project, how they handle variations and. Mm. How close the final account is to the the yeah, absolutely. You know, often when you on bigger projects, you know, contractors will come to the table with the best foot forward to win the project. People with loads of experience, the, the the full team, and you get the impression that these guys are going to be delivering your project, and and in reality, they're actually not. So it's getting the CVs and understanding who's going to be working on your project as well, and meeting them beforehand. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, you know, you might not necessarily get that with smaller projects, but certainly on bigger ones, that that can happen. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a, a really important point. And uh, on occasion, we've had you know, ten odd years ago, we we had an experience where the the actual project team were written into the contract. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to to avoid you know the A team being wheeled in at interview and then the B team kind of delivering. Yeah. You know, it can always be the, the case. Um, but uh, so I, I was just thinking, um, maybe tell us about, um, you know, post-contract in terms of you've, you know, you've, everybody's signed up, they're all, you know, this, the contract has taken possession. What your day-to-day, week-by-week, month-by-month, probably more importantly, um, what your activities look like in supporting your, your clients? Yeah, we've talked quite a lot about pre-contract, haven't we? So, yeah, the most important part is delivering it on budget, um, which is the construction phase. 
So after you've, you want to be starting off on the right grounds. So obviously it's nice to have a contract in place, which is clean and clear, pulled together. There's no ambiguities. There's a clear allocation of risk. Um, and that sets the tone for the rest of the uh, construction phase. Um, so after a QS has pulled your contract together, um, normal activities would be interim monthly valuations, going onto site, making sure, and often case the bank needs certification from a QS practice, often regulated by the RICS, which we are, um, to certify interim payments and making sure that uh, you're not overpaying for works that have been delivered on site. Um, so that's usually on a monthly case. Um, throughout the course of a construction project, um, often there's variations. So a key or a core service would be agreeing and negotiating those variations with a contractor, making sure you're not overpaying. Because once you've got a contractor on board, you're only negotiating with one person. So you want to make sure that's done fair and reasonable. So a QS is protecting the developer's best interest there. Mm. Um, and that's around variations and larger loss and expense claims as well. Mm. Um, monthly reporting is very important as well. Keeping a track of cash flow, keeping a track of forecast final account, keeping a track of variations. So each month, the developer is aware of where is aware of where it's heading, where the number is heading, and he's having foresight of that as early on as possible. Um, and within that report, which we produce, um, would also be a cash flow forecast, so you can see where you are drawing down funds, and that can also give you an indication of whether the contractors may be running behind or ahead of program as well, because if the you're expending less money than what you planned potentially that's an early warning that they're behind program mm -hmm. so there's there's those key key deliverables and then at the end of the project it's agreeing and wrapping up the final account with the contractor which could you know that that can take years if it's a big a big contract and it's not been administered properly mm -hmm. but i like to do a, what's called a rolling final account so i'm agreeing numbers throughout the construction phase. So when I get to the end, it should be quite clean and easy to agree a number. Everyone's happy um, and, and away we go. We hand over the building. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, and you, you, as you say, quite rightly, on literally on day one, you know, the contract plus one, um, you need to be anticip anticipating your final account and it's done yeah. on a kind of daily, weekly, monthly basis. And that just avoids the shocks, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's one of the pitfalls as well I've seen over the years is not really understanding the allocation of risk within the contract. Um, and then you get down, you get through the construction phase and there's a, there's a there's ambiguity. People haven't talked about the allocation of risk. So it's quite nice to have a risk register in an appendix within the contract, um, you know, with a clear allocation between employer contractor. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I really, really like that idea of as the variations come up, and inevitably we're trying to minimise them, but there will be some 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 change. And a reminder that variations can go up as well as down. Mm -hmm. um, the just keeping on top of them because the 
doesn't the the level of anxiety in in everybody's uh, camp rises doesn't it when that variation account starts increasing and if they're if you get an increasing amount at large then you know cash flow gets hit by the contractor mm-hmm. and it flows down the supply chain and you can get some pretty torrid situations so mm-hmm. whether you're doing a five thousand pound uh, project or um or a five million pound project yeah I think the first, the first thing whenever you get a variation from a contractor, the first thing I always do is check whether it's valid under the contract. Because often we jump into the numbers and, you know, it's too expensive, blah, blah, blah. But it, are they actually valid to, to, are they entitled to claim for additional cost? So, you know, if referring back to the contract again and understanding the contract. So once you've got past that stage, yes or no, then we can get into the negotiation and the numbers. That's your, that's your go-to reference point, isn't it? The contract in every mm-hmm. every event. I've, I've certainly seen, um, uh, and I've, I've known working with you firsthand. You know the efficiency of the, the monthly process, the application. So we, we see, don't we, the uh, the contractors and I, and I guess the professional team alike submitting their applications for payment on a monthly basis. You know, this is always an application of work done and not to be done. Um, um, and you, you know, you would receive that information. You, you know, QS would probably go to site and have a look and just check that the percentages complete were were valid. You know, along each line item. And Jake, they generally follow the summary attender approach, don't they? You know, that's only one I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the efficiency of all that, considering all the parties that need to get involved in this end of month activity. So you've got obviously contractors submitting their application your QS, um, you know, reviewing and checking, that would then need to be passed to, let's say, the the bank's monitoring surveyor, you know, to, again, have a look over and check and, and what have you. And then ultimately you're into certificates of, of an agreement of a sum, and then it goes off to the bank and the bank, you can draw the money down from the bank and pay the contractor. Mm-hmm. Lots of activities all at the end or a predefined date every month. And I, I, I see a great method that um, has been adopted, and I know you do the same. You kind of just corral everybody together for a site, you know, at a certain nine o'clock on a particular day every month, everybody comes together, everybody's there. We all walk around together, and that's the that's the contractor, that's, you know, the QS, and that's the monitoring surveyor, all walk around together, one document, reviewing one document, and by the end of the process, it's all agreed, you know, mm-hmm. and what super efficient. And then everybody dis- dissipates into their own camps. All the paperwork flows. You know, the the, um, the application goes up to the bank, and the bank pay, and we pay the contractor. You know, so it, 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 the certain efficiencies you can certainly drive into this process uh, beyond you know the enormity that it first looks like. So, yeah, I think that's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's, you're bound by timeframes in the contract, so. You know, if an employer doesn't pay on time, they'll be subject to a percentage of interest you know, for however many days they've not paid the contractor. So it's in the, the interest of the QS to get a certificate issued and paid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose, you know, the contract will be mindful of retention as well. So it, it'll probably hold back a, an amount of money. It could be 5%, whatever's agreed in the contract, essentially let's say 5% during the course of the contract, then then at the completion of the contract, there's generally a release in the Jake, you know, of, hmm. of a sum that's 
say two and a half percent of that five percent is released and the remainder is held for a period of 12 months just to deal with defects really hmm. so it's all all these sort of aspects this is pure uh, you know um, mechanics and administration of the contract mechanism you know that you need to all the listeners need to have somebody on board that understands the mechanics there and all the necessary certificates and paperwork that needs to be in place to enable the process to route to to run very smoothly mm-hmm. and um yeah so it's it's a, it's a you know it's a really important role the qs the the bank as well that the lenders and you know investors alike you know they'll be They'll be extremely grateful for that position to be uh, applied to a, a development because it gives you this financial assurance, which is what they want as part of their security package. And um, it avoids, you know, I, I, we, Mark, we see quite a bit, don't we, people for the best intentions try to get in the way of the process, you know, say, I'll, I'll have a go at that. But, you know, it's, we, we need to make sure we elevate ourselves, I think, as developers to be looking for the next deal and allow the professional team just to deliver that development, you know, in, in a way that has been delivered many, many times before over the years. So that's, that's really important. Yeah, we're, we're matching professions here, aren't we? That The bank don't talk to us during the development, really. It's the bank's monitoring surveyor that talks to us. Well, if we put our representative forward, we've got two members of the RRCS talking to each other, the monitoring surveyor and our QS. Mm-hmm. Jake, as always, I mean, you're very free with your time and, and sharing uh, knowledge and wisdom. Lots of top tips there for developers just starting out on their journey and even more seasoned developers. If people want to know more, how would they get in contact with you? Yeah, so we just excitingly launched our websites uh, yesterday, actually. Um, which is your QS company, uh, Y-O-U-R-Q-S company. And the web link is www.yourqsco.com. So you can you can get hold of me via the website. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, I'm sure your, your inbox will be full with, with inquiries. Uh, thank you for all the work you do on our developments day in, day out. It keeps us safe and gets our final accounts as close to that contract uh, appointed some as possible and keeps the developments on track. So thank you for that. So crucial for us, Nigel, isn't it? It's uh, it, it just allows us to put our head on the pillow and sleep easier. It's, it certainly does. And, um, you know, Q, the QS and the PM, they they have that equal pivotal roles in, in any development that we do. And, uh, you know, they're certainly top of the tree in terms of people you should be... Uh, certainly leaning on and uh, pulling from their experience for sure thanks a lot jake appreciate that thank you very much both glad take to be care. on take care bye bye everybody take care thank you for listening to the property portfolio podcast we hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that it inspired you on the next leg of your journey if you've got any questions or comments why not reach out to us at our facebook page Equa Academy. Also, don't forget to register for free access to hundreds of property development videos and templates over at equaacademy.co.uk and we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.